Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. As always, are Vince and Zach. Welcome back, Vince. Uh, hey, hi, hey. Uh, we are here to talk about the comics that are coming out. What's that date? August twenty fourth, I suppose, twenty twenty one. And starting with Checkmate Number Three, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Alex Maleev. Vince, did you read uh, this issue, or are you continuing your boycott of Checkmate? I did read it. I caught up. Okay, because I figure if this is the thing that we're going to be maybe talking like I was surprised it was even on the list. And when it was, I was like, well, I guess I should just bite the bullet and do it. So. So what do you think of it then? Uh, you have a I, nice, fresh perspective here. Talk to us I about don't it. like it. It's the stakes are the stakes feel so low and they're supposed to feel big. I think I, I've said this before. I'm pretty sure on the show, but like. Bendis's best stuff, and I'm certainly not the only one that's ever said this by a long shot, but Bendis's best stuff is small. It's street level stuff. It's personal stuff. <clears throat> like, I don't hate everything Bendis has ever done, but pretty much across the board, I do not like his eventy stuff. So, like, none of his events at Marvel, I don't think, ever appealed to me. Um, his Avengers run is like for as much of it as I've read, which is like most of it, one of the most disappointing and, and lackluster runs from a creator that I've, that I've ever read probably that I've ever stuck with that long for sure. Um, uh, not for the show. I mean, Tom King, I had to, I had to read that for the show, but, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, whenever he gets eventy and and trying to feel important like this, it, it never works for me. And I don't know whether it's because he, he tries to be too jokey. He, he leans too heavy on the, on the pithy sarcasm and it undercuts any, like any seriousness that he attempts, but like to take a specific example from this issue, the, the super big revelation that Lois Lane has that like, Mark Shaw is trying to hack into the communication system of that links like uh, the hall of justice to the bat cave, to the fortress of solitude just landed with such a fart to me. Like, okay, of course he, like he just took over the, the DEO, the Leviathan, everything. Like apparently he took over every other organization. So like, of course, he's trying to take over the hall of justice now or whatever. Like to me that, that was, it was clearly written as if it was supposed to land as a big shocker and it couldn't have been less of that to me. Um, I don't know if you guys would agree with that or, or my general take on Bendis, but that's, that's where I sit with this. It's another event. That's just not carrying the weight that it's clearly meant to. Zach. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I mostly agree. I did. I didn't like this issue as much as the last one. The thing that I don't like about this is I, I really don't like the dual time frame thing, the jumping back and forth between the present and two weeks ago. I think it's unnecessarily convoluted. Oh. Um, 
and in a story that is already kind of unnecessarily convoluted like the stuff with lois and the snowman ticket doesn't really make any sense to me same um like i kind of feel like maybe i'm like supposed to get it and i feel a little dumb that i don't but at at the same time i'm i'm like no maybe this isn't me (laughs) um so yeah i don't i don't love that and again just like okay there is a thing in uh, there's a thing in another issue this week that makes they're actually yeah no it is in the same issue there are two things in another issue that make me wonder if this is maybe more important than we think it might be like if it's going to be important moving forward more important in terms of affecting the, the, the overall the meta, yeah the meta yeah, narrative okay. the meta narrative yeah um i'm gonna predict no because they're not gonna let him continue it at dark horse so <laughs> i i still think i mean look i i'm pretty sure this is not a, a, a breaking news thing here he's still gonna do stuff at dc he's just I no know, longer dc yeah. exclusive right 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 one of them, one of these things is a big stretch, actually. Actually, also, I'll go ahead and say what it is. Yeah, There's see both a, what they are. Okay, well, it's it's a little convoluted. The first thing, the book that I'm talking about it, it, that is in question is um, Superman, Son of Kal-El. There is a character in Checkmate on the Markovia side, uh, under on, on the Leviathan side, whose last name, I believe, is Nakamura. Um, and then Ooh, I didn't catch that the truth character that we've learned that, that we've learned about in Superman is is revealed this spoiler we're going to talk about it in a little bit his, his last name is Nakamura as well mm-hmm. that feels like that's good I mean that's a common ish sounding Asian name person of Asian descent so it could just it could be a coincidence but the fact that they're coming out in such close succession and then the other thing is the reveal of kind of the villain force in mm-hmm. Superman, Son of Kal-El, which again, spoiler, we'll talk about in a bit. It's Henry Bendix of mm-hmm. Wildcat, Stormwatch. It's Brian Bay. Michael Bendis. <laughs> and we know Bendis was already kind of starting to do some authority Wildstorm stuff before things got shaken up which makes me wonder if maybe Tom Taylor is working a bit off of some old or pre-existing Bendis stuff with this run, which would make sense. It did seem like Bendis was going to be doing Jonathan Kent Superman. It makes me think that maybe some, even if Bendis isn't going to be doing it, that some of this Bendis stuff is going to still matter. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think you're, on the right track there, man. I didn't pick up on that. Uh, I, I picked up on the, the Bendix thing, obviously, but I didn't notice the, the Nakamura thing. That's really good. I kind of like this, guys. Hmm. I, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's the best thing Bendis has done. I don't think it's the best thing going out at DC, but I don't dislike this that much. I I guess I like the I like the cast of characters that has emerged as the checkmate side of this. You know, I don't care who this King character is. I oh, that's my other prediction. I think King is going to be a Wildstorm character. Oh, which one? Um, John Lynch. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, 
or maybe um, I meant the former Broncos great safety. Oh, not, okay. Not, okay. Not the Wildstorm character, actually. Maybe um, who's the guy who is who is the guy who was kind of the opposite of Bendix in in like I know he was in Wildstorm previously, but like he was the it, the character in the like recent version of the wild storm do you know what character i'm talking about i can't i can't think of his name i'm, I'm guessing him people will know who i'm talking about we'll say, insert it later say who again say the first part again that he was kind of he was the guy who was like in charge of um he was the you know the alien character who's in like a human body human oh body. yeah what was that guy's name yeah um he's the christ um Oh, it is literally on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, I can't. I just can't think of it. Keep uh, keep talking. Keep that's talking. Who I, that's who I think it is. That's my guess. Yeah. Oh, that's. Interesting. Are you looking it up? I am looking it up. It's because okay. it's going to bother me because it is just right on the tip of my tongue. Um. Somebody say something else. Yeah. No, was, was J- say Jacob was... Marlowe, right? Marlo. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. That's my guess interesting it's crazy by the way i think marlow has actually been mentioned though recently hasn't he in like some of the grifter stuff i believe the, in the, the halo grifter stuff yeah yeah maybe i don't know we'll see i do think it is going to end up being a wildstorm character though isn't it wild that there was this like budding wildstorm universe we were all very excited about and then <laughs> and now <laughs> just fell apart yeah <laughs> And now they're, my collar. Yeah, they're, they're, they don't even reference that stuff anymore at all. That's like, oh, no, no, never it's happened. Gone. It's memory hold. It's out of here. I mean, um, part of it, part of it feels like a deliberate, like, okay, we need to redo this as quickly as possible yeah. <laughs> to, to, to sweep that all under the rug. Um, so, yeah, what I was saying is, you know, I, I think that this is, like, I'm enjoying watching Green Arrow and Damien, these other characters I enjoy you know, hanging out and doing stuff. I really like Maliev's art. You know, I, I don't think that's breaking news that Alex Maliev is a good comic artist. I do like that. And, and I also think that it's interesting now that we're starting to see a little bit more of who is on the Leviathan side besides Mark Shaw, like seeing the Manhattan Guardian there. Come on, for you, Morrison Simps, that's got to be a nice little thing. Um, he's the Metropolis Guardian. I'm sorry, Metropolis Guardian. Yeah, is it that same? It is. It, it is, is the okay. same one. It's the same yeah. one. Fuck you, then. It's the same one. You know what I'm it's, talking about? It's the it's the same one, but he's going by a different name because yes. he moved to Metropolis. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Just like how you claim to be from Minnesota now, but we all know you're actually from Wisconsin. <laughs> got it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm I claim Minnesota for everything but sports. We all know that. It's, you, you 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 are the the Twin City malcontent. That's your uh, that's your superhero <laughs> name there. Um, but no, you know, like I said, I I think it's I think overall it's fun. I think it's actually more fun because I don't think it matters at all. And so it's just like, oh, look at this fun thing that's happening. And and if it does matter, see, here's the thing. I think there's a way to do this, and this is going to be something that we're going to reference in a project people don't know about until a few weeks from now. Um. Get your finances in order, folks. Um, but the uh, the idea of, of like give. <laughs> uh, but the idea of having multiple having stories set in multiple timelines within the same comic universe can be a little bit confusing at times. 
But I feel like if there was a way for this to be better established as this is happening in the past, I think there's actually a lot of stuff here that is a lot of fun. And to me, this is so much better than the Bendis stuff we were getting in Superman at the end of the uh, at the end of the Rebirth era. I think this is better than some of his Legion stuff, especially some of the Superman stuff is better. Specifically, yes, exactly. yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's oh, that's the other thing. I oh yeah, we're we're definitely like heading towards a scenario with. I mean, it's already been in the solicits where like Superman is kind of going to be on the outs. I love like the stuff that's going on with Superman right now with just like the Jonathan Kent stuff and the authority stuff. Oh man. Yeah. I'm excited. The the thing about this though, is it reminds me too much of, remember that arc of, I think it was either action or Superman, but I, I want to say action that was drawn by John Romita Jr. Uh, towards the end of Bendis's run and it intersected with um, the Justice Doom stuff that Snyder was doing. Yeah. And the Leviathan stuff, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And remember it did the same thing where it was trying to through, through, through like a six issue arc. It did this. I, I didn't read that whole thing. I hope oh, God. where it was doing the, the like two weeks ago. Okay. Now it's today. And it did that in every issue. Yeah, I hate and, all of that shit that's oh, annoying but like i said I, I don't think that this stuff could i think it's fun if this stuff does interact in the future just the pedant in me needs to needs to, to be clear that this happened a long time ago because none of these characters are in the same place at all anymore yeah 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 i don't know it's just not grabbing me I think I'm probably, I don't know, I'm probably, cl I'm closer to Brian and my estimation of it. I didn't love this issue as much as I liked the last one, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's still enjoyable. It's, it's, it's just, it's reminding me too much of the stuff from Bendis that I don't like. The, 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 that bad action arc and the, it really does remind me of his like Marvel Avengers stuff in some ways too. And, um, yeah, but that's that. Yeah, I I get it. That's that's my opinion. It's it's rare that we don't agree on stuff, so it's fun that we have a slightly different. Uh... I don't know. I feel like we disagree all the time these days. <laughs> Not about water parks. No. Not about. Yeah, you're right. We all love water parks. Pro water park. Yeah. I don't know why it's so funny to me that you decided to bring in a totally <laughs> irrelevant part of our pre-show conversation of the show. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate knowing that you and I spent 20 minutes talking about water parks before the show. <laughs> While Zach was being a, a daddy. They're a delightful topic. They are. To talk about. They are. I know people think they're gross. They're no grosser than any place else. There's so much chlorine in that water. It would kill any virus that jumped in there. That's right. All right. Moving on to a book that I think we'll have less divergent opinions about. We have Robin number five written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Gleb Melnikoff. I fucking love this issue, guys. Oh, God, <laughs> did I love this issue? Well, I mean, it has it's got like one moment in particular that's just like, I think made, made for me, especially and probably for all of us. Was it the was it Dick telling Damon you were my Robin? Uh huh. Oh yeah. man, the fucking feels, the fucking feels. Uh, you were crying, weren't you? 
I I did not cry, but I got a little misty. Oh. Um, okay, that's great. I also loved the rooftop race. <laughs> they were like, that's something that the Bat family does enough that they have a name for this. Like, yeah, it's a rooftop race. That was great. Everything about the interaction between the Bat family here felt perfect. Mm-hmm. It felt really on note, on point. It did not feel like anything was being stretched. When Damien hugged Jason, <laughs> hilarious. Like, it, it was hilarious and perfect. Everything about this interaction was really, really honest and good and everything that I want from the Bat family. Oh, man, did I love this issue, guys. And Gleb Melnikov drawing all the different Bat characters, just Italian chef kiss after Italian chef kiss all over the place here. I specifically loved his Tim. It had a real, like, 90s throwback vibe to it. Just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he Gleb is doing like a master class of of like I don't wanna I don't wanna say like I, I overuse this, but like there really is like a shonen manga energy to it, to the art. You know, it's not it's it's not like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily look like manga art. It doesn't look like it like he's uh aping a Japanese style or anything, but the energy, the energy of the art, you know, the, the feel of it. Um, it just has so much energy to it. I love it. Um, the other thing, like to compare it to what we just, what I just said about Checkmate, like here's a book where yeah, the stakes are, are lower than what Checkmate is supposed to be, I think. And yet... <sighs> I think they treat everything with just the right amount of weight. You know, they like Williamson knows how silly this uh, death match on the Island of Lazarus or whatever it's called is, um, you know, he knows how silly that all is, right? He knows how silly it is to have Damien like pulled away to roof rate rooftop race with the bat family and then return to this, tournament that he's like that is just a a a silly light sequence of events right um that's not really treated with any grave seriousness or anything like that he strikes the exact right tone is what i'm saying you know like he knows what his book is compare that to something with like but it's also like very heartfelt though too like yeah yeah exactly yeah right right you're, you're not wrong, but like he's striking all those notes appropriately, mm-hmm. I think, you know? Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I agree with everything that that you guys have said. I, I like this a lot. Um, I think it like would have been kind of funny if there was that bit where um, you know, Damien makes a comment about like why uh Tim and staff are kind of like on the outs and it's like oh is that why you guys are you know kind of like on the outs with each other and the only thing I thought like was like it would have been really funny if I I don't there there wouldn't have been like an organic way to work into the story but it's like no Tim's exploring is (laughs) Tim's exploring right now yeah right yeah it would have been it would have been very much like editor's box Uh uh-huh yes yes That actually would have been really smart and fun, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this was good. 
anytime anytime there's like dick and damien stuff you i'm here for it so i actually like that stuff and and i liked all that kind of way more than the tournament stuff i don't i don't like like the tournament stuff will be cool i'm fine i'm glad it's like finally getting started but i i liked all that bad family stuff better oh i mean i i would definitely take the bat family stuff over the tournament stuff but i have to say we are going into issue six of a series that was advertised as this tournament. We have not gotten there in six issues, and yet it doesn't feel like the book hasn't done anything for six issues. Right. Like ah, for, yes. For so many books that that we get that we know the first arc before the book even starts, and then you don't get to that until later. You feel like, why aren't we doing this fucking tournament already? But this book never feels that way. Like, every issue has done something interesting and different, whether it was last issue's Rachel Ghoul thing, or we had the one issue where Robin dies at the end of it, right? And that's, that was the big cliffhanger. Like, there's enough, there's enough meat on this bone that you don't feel like it's wasting time before getting to this, to sort of the point. I, it's just so well done. Everything about this is great. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well said. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, there there's, there's another version of this book. You can imagine where like, okay, the tournament gets introduced in the first issue. The opening match is in the second issue and it's all very, um, you know, linear and, and stretched out. And, and this, no, this is like, this is going for character based diversions, whether it's, whether it's with him still on the island, you know, he there's some really good character work with Ravager and some of the other characters. And then this diversion back to Gotham City, which again, like in a more boring, straightforward book, that that doesn't even happen because the writer goes, Oh, well, it would be silly to like take Damien away and then bring him back to the island, you know. Right. But Williamson doesn't care about that because like I said, I, I, I get the sense that he, he knows how, and I don't mean silly in a pejorative way. You know, I just mean like, he knows how, he knows how comic booky the idea of a, of a death tournament is, you know? So like, who cares if we grab Damien away and bring him back here, even though it doesn't really fit the plot, doesn't really make any sense. Like we're just going to do it because it's going to be fun to hang with these characters for a little bit. And turns out it was, so it was all worth it, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I know we keep praising Gleb Melnikov, but God damn, he's doing such good work here. Yeah. We should also say uh, Jorge Corona did last week, last month's issue and did an excellent job. That was also very good, too. Yes, yeah, did an excellent job filling in. Um, but yeah, any other notes on Robin? Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. All right, well, let's do this. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we are going to have uh, a lot of Superman talk. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Klaus' Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. 
And we are back to talk about a flurry of Superman books, starting with Superman 78, number one, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Wilfredo Torres. When I was on vacation a few weeks ago, you guys talked about the first issue of Batman 89 with our pal Walt. And I think this is uh, a sim- I mean, obviously it's a similar project, but I think it's, it's similar in quality in terms of this feels like a pretty good follow up to those movies. It seems like it's taking some concepts that maybe could not have been done on film in the 70s and early 80s and exploring them in a in a fun way. Uh, I don't know how much I really have to say about this, but I enjoyed it. Zach, what did you think? Um, well, I have much uh, more of a fondness for these Superman films than I do the Burton Batman films. Um, so just from that standpoint, I was already kind of inclined to, to maybe be more excited about this. Um, the, Torres art in this is so is so good you know on par I think with what Quinona is was is doing in the Batman one um I I will say that maybe um the Batman 89 one nailed the like tone of that particular uh uh you know version a little bit stronger I I don't know that this like this definitely has the trappings of the Donner Superman stuff, but it, and, and like Clark looks like Christopher Reeve, you know, Lois is Margot Kidder sort of. Um, but the, the voices I, I feel like maybe weren't quite as on point or it just, it just didn't ring quite as, you know, I am watching a comic of the movie that there were like a few moments. Like I think when Clark, um, changes into his, his superman outfit yes. you know that like was the that. most that was the most film realistic sequence yeah that that really that felt i felt it there um but the rest just kind of felt like a like a superman comic that is maybe like a you know set in a particular time period um that that said it was it was enjoyable i i liked it for what it was um but maybe maybe just not like over the moon for it Yeah, I think I feel pretty much exactly the same way. And I think part of what hurts it for me a little, although I had a, a fine enough time with it, um, the story's just so conventional for, for a first issue. You know, the thing about the, the thing that was fun about the Batman one is that um, <clears throat> it took a couple left turns with the Burnside stuff. And, you know, this one is pretty much straightforward. What if, what if Brainiac was introduced into the into the movie Superman mythos without changing, you know, it doesn't it almost doesn't change anything else about uh, either the Donner um, universe or the uh, skeleton of the Brainiac origin, basically, you know, there's not any new wrinkles thrown in there. Um, and so it's it's almost too conventional for me. What I, what I really liked about this was how it nailed the tone of the Donner movies as far as the like bustling background uh, action goes. One of, the, one of the interesting things about the Donner movie that's the Donner movies that stick with me 
is that like the little character beats from like civilians. I'm thinking of like, Hey Jim, that's a bad outfit. Yeah, exactly. That or like the, I want my Liberace record back tonight, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just little throwaway moments like that. And there's a couple of those in this too. There's like, there's one where like uh, the hot dog guy, accidentally sprays mustard on yep. the dude's shirt uh, you know yeah that is like I, totally out of the beginning of superman 2 <laughs> absolutely i can imagine that happening in yeah yes yes so it nailed those that was fun um i think you know unfortunately we didn't get to see like a gene hackman-esque lex yet um that that may have helped a little the other the other small bit of criticism that i have about it is um something similar to what i said about the batman one which is um i didn't feel like the batman like as good as quinones is from an artistic standpoint i didn't think that he nailed the look of burton's gotham specifically i don't think that what i what i would like to see which would be more fun for my tastes would be if you're going to introduce Brainiac and this like more technological thing, like you said, Brian probably couldn't have been accomplished in those movies, given the special effects of the time. I almost want to see the art simplify it in a way that the movie would have maybe shown it, you know, the Brainiac would not have been depicted in this way in the Donner movies. So then to me, it's lacking like the visual feel of the Donner movies. Or at least like the the robotic Brainiac probe, you mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it's too, it's too detailed. It's too conventionally what we know of as Brainiac uh, from the comics, you know? Right, right. Like one of the things I appreciate, and I cannot remember the which Godzilla comic it was. There was a Godzilla comic from a couple of years ago where they were clearly drawing Godzilla as a guy in a suit. And, and I felt <laughs> yeah. like it was really nice to have it reference the Godzilla that we all grew up loving. Right. Right. So you kind of hope that the Brainiac version looks like a shitty 1983 version of Brainiac in this. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, grew up, I-, I grew up loving Godzilla 2000. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> And uh, I'm not I'm not even asking for it to look shitty. I just think maybe more purposefully simplified, you know, right. Simplified doesn't have to mean shitty. It just means more minimalist. Right. Yeah. Um, Like like corners they would have had to cut. And that doesn't mean it looks terrible. It's just simplified. It's just it's just it's just uh, like specifically referencing not just the time period but also the constraints of the for of the format in that time period yeah which i know that that you know the batman book doesn't do that either like they're, they're not intentionally trying to make things look crappy like special effects happened to be back then but i feel like then you lose a little bit this is a minor criticism you use you lose a little bit of the magic of revisiting that time period you know so i i wasn't able to talk about batman 89 because i wasn't on the show that week but one of the things that i really liked about that was it took a character in harvey dent that gave him 
a very specific backstory. Like it did not try to redo the Harvey Dent from the comics backstory. It gave Harvey Dent, the Billy Dee Williams character, his own very unique place that he came from and a little bit of a supporting cast around him. And that was cool because that feels like something that maybe the films would have done eventually if it had gone on. I felt like nothing in this necessarily took a seed from the film and grew it into something different. It just did another version of the film. Does that make any sense? Yeah. That's one of my criticisms of this. Uh, I also feel like Venditti doesn't do a great job of nailing Christopher Reeve's Clark Kent voice, which I think is so specific and so great. I love Christopher Reeve's Clark Kent. Um, and I don't know if that was really nailed here. Overall, though, I enjoyed this. I think that Wilfredo Torres is an interesting choice to be doing this book because I don't think that his artwork, like when you heard that Joe Quinones was doing Batman 89, it's like, oh, I totally see how that fits in here. Mm -hmm. This didn't seem like as natural of a fit for me, but I thought he did a really nice job. Um I thought that his action stuff was a lot of fun. And like you said, Vince, he did a good job of incorporating lots of the background action and just the the general the general sort of um, mad capery that happens in the background of a Richard Donner movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was this was fun. I just wish it was more, like you said, you sort of more specific to the actual films. But I'll, I'll happily keep reading this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else to say about this, Zach? Mm-mm. Uh, all right. Let's get to Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by John Timms. Vince, if you haven't started us off tonight on any of these, to start us off talking about this. Well, I think you guys are the ones who are going to be slobbering all over this, although I, I really did like it. Um but uh yeah i uh <laughs> i just love the rhythm that this moves on like this is this is the tom taylor rhythm of character work and incorporating action and um i mean i've already talked about how much i like john timms and how much how much of a glow up there's been there for me with him um but the thing like for example what i what i mean about the rhythm of this when it starts off with this like Finn Connors new secret identity thing, I'm kind of reading that and I'm going, ah, I, I don't know if I need this, you know, I don't, I don't need this to be a thing. And then it's discarded like halfway through the issue in, in like a brilliant bit of um, just blowing up what's kind of a half-assed idea, right? Int- yes. Intentionally. So, <laughs> and like it genuinely, surprise me <clears throat> you don't get that from comics very often but i think T- tom taylor is so good at it i also think i don't i think he was probably talking about um this jay nakamura character but he gave an interview where he said there's a new character being introduced in this issue um it's going to be a first appearance and it's very important going forward and by the end I, i'm like like i said i think you realize it's jay nakamura but 
while I'm reading this, I'm thinking, is he talking about like the Finn Connors secret identity? <laughs> so then again, when it blows up, I think of that interview and this is external to the comic, you know, but I think of that interview and I go, Oh, he was just being like funny or whatever. And then you get the, the real new character towards the end. And then that all comes. So like what I'm saying is not only do I appreciate Tom Taylor's work, but I appreciate the way that he finds ways to keep it interesting and fresh when comics can so often be predictable, especially thanks to like solicitations coming out so early, you know? Yes. And I never feel like a Tom Taylor comic is totally spoiled for me because I read a solicit or because I read an interview is, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And that, that doesn't just have to do with the way that he uses social media. It's, it's the way that he writes the and constructs the scripts for these things too. I think it's, it's, it's really smart and really intentional. Um, so yeah, you guys go off. Um, I, I love this. <laughs> um, every bit of it. Um, still really, really liking the John Tim's art. I think he's just like the best fit for this book. Um, I agree with all the stuff you said about Vince, about like the Finn Connor character, um, how, how that was handled. Um, I really, I like, I mean, I already kind of gushed about how much I like the like current direction of the Superman books and kind of what they're doing, um, with getting to the heart of like Superman tackling like real issues, I guess, mm -hmm. which is just like, uh, so satisfying i guess like just the sequence where john goes and rescues the 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 refugees like that that whole section just and, and then like the the um exchange between him and the metropolis police officers like that was just all so good and satisfying and like you know there will be consequences like it's not all just like rainbows and and you know sunshine and I'm, but I'm here for the consequences too. Like I making it tying it into Wildstorm stuff. I, you know, I'm here for that absolutely. So this is just like very much a Superman book. I think that I I have wanted for a while. Yeah, I love this. Um, I kept waiting for people to when they heard the name Finn Connors. To say to him, good name, like they say to Dirk Diggler in, uh, in Boogie Nights, whenever he reveals his new name. Um, it definitely feels like a, like one of those, like your blank name is your first pet and the street you grew up on. Like that, it, Finn Connors feels like that kind of a kind of a creation. It feels like a very lazy fake name, which is kind of perfect for this. But overall, this issue was fantastic. I really do like the um, the development as of John as somebody who sees real flaws with the way his dad is doing things like I, he obviously loves his father very very much and wants to do a wants to do a, a a good job representing his father's legacy but he's also not afraid to say you were wrong in doing things this way or at least i want to do things differently i love the development of john here the wildstorm stuff fits really well it's crazy that we have Wildstorm stuff developing in a couple of books right now, but that's, you know, it's good. It's just unexpected. And the last thing I'm going to say about this is just, I, I have been the lowest on John Tim's 
of the three of us. Not that I've ever disliked his artwork. I just haven't been as gaga for it as you guys have. But this book is making me into a John Timms believer. This is just fantastic. I think that his John is convincingly young. What I mean by that is that I think sometimes people, we've talked about this before, people draw sort of teenage characters or young adult characters as just like slightly shorter versions of full adults. But I think Tim's is a really good job of showing some real youthful energy from John. And my favorite scenes are actually the ones where he makes John be more contemplative. He just, he, he does a really good job with the expressions of just, you know, how he's struggling through all of this and not like he's emo or over the top, but you can see that John is really thinking about the consequences of his actions here. And it's, it's fantastic. It's just so good. This is such a good comic guys. <laughs> Any other Superman son of Kal-El notes? Uh-huh. All right. Well, that, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is Superman versus Lobo written by Tim Seeley and Sarah Beattie illustrated by Mirka Andolfo. Um, Zach, why don't you start us off with this? Oh, you would start with me. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I actually mostly just skimmed this uh, issue uh, <laughs> because it was so long and I started running out of time uh, with catching up on this week's books. The art is really good. I like Andolfo's art. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about this. Vince? Um, <laughs> I don't. I wish it wasn't this long. I'll say that a fucking men to that. <laughs> I mean, I didn't hate it. It's just not my man. There, there's something about like a comedy book at DC or Marvel. Like they're both guilty of this. <clears throat> Where like they try to lampoon like current-ish events, right? Except they never have like a really strong definitive voice. So like <laughs> Lobo is kind of like running an InfoWars style show in this, right? Um, like an InfoWars YouTube thing, I think is what they're trying to go for. Sure. Except that like they're also not really saying Lobo is wrong about certain things necessarily. Like there's never, like, I feel like these, these like jokey DC comics are always like, let's just do rapid fire jokes and let's not actually take like any strong stances or even be coherent at all about what we're actually making fun of. Right. (laughs) And that's my problem with this. Like, there's a lot of attempted humor in this and not very pointed about what the targets are, or what the, what the, what the coherence or the focus is supposed to be. Um, so a lot of it fell very flat to me, you know, like at one point, like super, like su- trust in Superman is basically treated like trust in vaccines, I think. <laughs> and yet like, I don't know. They're not, they're somehow not being pointed enough about that point or just not coming out and saying what they mean by that. Right. right. I don't know. It's confusing. So 
I, I want to preface this by saying that Sarah Beatty is one of the funniest people on Twitter. I think she is very, very funny. And so I had high hopes for this. I've read a little bit of Money Shot, the comic she and Celie wrote for Vault, and I've enjoyed that a bit. Um, but this mostly falls flat for me. I do think there was some good stuff in here in places, and I think that there, there are some good ideas here in general. I like the idea of people, of like dumb people not wanting Superman to rescue them, and that's kind of fun. But this is just so long. It's like 50 pages. There's no reason for this to be 50 pages. Other, this, other than it's a black label book. Right, but yeah. this event shouldn't be 50 pages. It should be three 20-page issues with 10 pages that got lost somewhere because there's just not enough here to sustain that length of a comic. I think uh, Mirka Andolfo does fine work here, different than the typical work we get from them. I feel like it's a, it's a little bit more, um, more painted of a style, and I don't know if that's because of the coloring or if that's... Uh, you know, a choice by Adolfo themselves. But overall, I felt that this was kind of a wasted opportunity. I think the idea of doing a Superman and Lobo book is interesting because the characters are so different from one another. And so that could be a fun combination together. And I think the, it, the book ends with them going to their, the opposite person's respective destroyed homeworld. And that could be fun. But That's that should have, idea. Yeah. That should have been page 19 of a 20 page issue, <laughs> not page 50 of a 50 page issue. So I guess I don't know why this is black label either. You know, what what about it makes it black label? Yeah, there, there's there's not a lot of violence or sex or language in it, right? No, like basically none. Other than the other than the fake uh, Lobo swearing. <laughs> Right, you know, he says <laughs> yeah. frag a lot. He does say frag a lot. Um, yeah, this is just it's it's fine, whatever. I will not be reading parts two and three, and that bums me out because I really wanted to like this because it it could be fun. I also think a, a comedy book involving Superman is a pretty fun novel idea as well because we don't typically get a lot of comedy around Superman. So this this could have been fun, but. Sadly, it's not. Well, Vince, what do we have coming out next week? Ah, Jesus. <laughs> you got to, like, uh, send me some kind of prompt or something. Or... We do, I do this every fucking show. Just have, have, it, have it ready when the show starts. You got to, like, tell me before the show. Remind me to do this. This is just another one of your um, things you got to do for me um, to babysit me. Hang on. I got this. I, I will say this. I got it. I got it. Uh, but, but, but before you say that, though, uh, next week, there will be a show. However, it will not be on the books we're talking about. That's a hint to something. We oh, will boy. talk about these books eventually, but it won't be next week. Next week, it's <laughs> special. So, Ooh, boy. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. So uh, for, for the week of uh, August 31st, we've got Aquaman 80th anniversary, number one. We've got the Batman uh, Fear State Alpha number one. We've got Batman Superman annual number one. The Harley Quinn annual number one comes out. Infinite Frontier number five. Midnighter annual number one. Teen Titans Academy number six. And then did we decide that Wonder Girl got kicked to this week too? No, Wonder Girl is, is now coming out the proper week. The week okay. we just talked about. Okay. Forget that then. Yeah. 
that, that's an interesting week. But again, you'll have to wait a little bit to hear about it. So that's okay. Uh, anyway, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am a Brian is enough. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is traveling the country riding water slide after water slide. And uh, look out below, folks. In 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 the most undried of my dreams, am I <laughs> doing that? Well, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week with something. You I presume we'll do the uh, the regular show first. Sure. Um, yeah. I prefer Adventure Time. <sighs> <laughs> if I if I made that joke, Vince would have been, "Oh, fuck you!" <laughs> <laughs> any, any joke I make, he's so mad at. Zach makes the most easy layup joke in the world, and Vince laughs like Paul fucking Schaefer supporting his bud. And uh, 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 yeah. Yeah, Adventure Time. Yeah. John DiMaggio. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs>